Welcome to another edition of The Raven Narratives. I'm Sarah Severson. And I'm Tom Yoder. We're the co-producers of The Raven Narratives. And today we're at the KSJD Studios here in downtown Cortez, Colorado. It's an exciting day because we're about to hear from some of our storytellers that are going to be pitching stories for our upcoming event in October. Yeah, it's going to be October 21st and 22nd. The theme this round for the fall edition is forces, which we're excited. It conjures up all sorts of things, right? I know, I know. Yoda... Um, police use the force use the force <laughs> exactly the force of all force forces of all kinds we're yeah. excited about that and we heard some stories earlier this week that are really exciting so we're uh, we're getting ready to pull it all together again for you in october the story you're about to hear was told by frank lockwood at our live storytelling event in august when the theme was exposure frank is a retired attorney and mediator who practiced his entire career in hawaii he's originally from chicago and is a third generation cub fan He has a weekly radio talk show, answers as the diver for the Durango Telegraph, and is a county planning commissioner in Durango, Colorado. Currently, Frank runs political campaigns and trains for the Iron Horse Race Classic. Here's Frank's story. I woke up uh, at about 4.30 in the morning on um, April 15th, 2013, uh, in my daughter's apartment. She was a student at Tufts University, and she was running in the Boston Marathon that day. We were out of the house uh, immediately. We had to go to a gymnasium where they were gonna take Sarah and the other 100 Tufts students uh, who had an, uh, apparently an arrangement uh, with the Boston Athletic Association where they gave 100 running slots to Tufts University students. And Sarah, with uh, her classmates, had uh, trained for about six months. It was her first marathon. She had been a runner, but this was her first marathon in one of the world's most famous marathons. And we were very excited about it. And she was really raring to go. We walked uh, uh, across campus to the gymnasium. They put Sarah on a bus and uh, the rest of the students and um, uh, ported them out about nine small pre-revolutionary towns away from Boston (laughs) uh, so that they would run through those nine towns about 26 miles into downtown Boston into uh, the Boylston Street, Boston Public Library, and Copley Square. So they did that. Um, I, I... came to watch Sarah in the in her first marathon uh, her mom uh, June uh, was uh, of all places in Hawaii where June's business we originally came from Hawaii and June was there it was April 15th she's a tax CPA and guess what she was doing on April 15th so she couldn't come but we were going to connect with her so they ported all the parents of the hundred students on a couple of buses gave us caps for free, except they really weren't for free. They cost us each about $100,000. And ported us out to the nine mile mark where we, where we, you know, uh, manned our own uh, aid station for the Boston Marathon and they fed us coffee and bagels and so on and so forth. So uh, I knew about what Sarah's time was going to be per mile and knew when she'd get to the nine mile mark and was ready for her and put her on FaceTime with her mother uh, back in Hawaii across uh, 
you know, transcontinental and transpacific for what, 90 seconds, you know, go Sarah, go. And she was in great shape and doing really well and all smiles as she usually is. And then she took off. It, it couldn't have been even, a, maybe it wasn't even 30 seconds. I think she just didn't want to stop running. She just kept bouncing. She was gone. A little while later, they ported all of us parents back downtown to the finish line to watch many of our uh, children uh, at, the, at the finish line. We got there. I got off the bus, was following a few parents who did not know where they were going, and we all got lost. And when we got off the bus, there were thousands of people everywhere around uh, Copley Square. So uh, I couldn't find my way to the finish line, and I got to the, the rear of the Boston Public Library, and the finish line is in the front of the Boston Public Library on Boylston Street, so I was maybe 25 or 30 yards away from the finish line, but impeded by you know one of those uh, metal barriers. Uh, the, the finishers were coming in. I could see some of them coming in. They were giving them Mylar blankets. It was still a little chilly out. And, uh, and I was told I had to go around Copley Square to get to the finish line, which was gonna take me about 10 minutes. Sarah was due any minute, and I, you know, I wanted to get there in time. And so I started heading out and around the square, and there was a young guy sitting on the sidewalk playing the guitar, and then this sound happened, this hugely loud sound happened. And he said, the young guy on the guitar said, what was that, a sonic boom? And I said, no, that was a bomb. And how I would know, I've never been in the military, I don't know what a bomb sounds like, but I just knew. And no sooner did I say that to him than the second one went off. And when that happened, uh, it, it, it appeared to me that these 200-year-old Boston stone buildings, carved stone buildings, had all jumped a couple of feet and then settled back down into place. It was a strange sort of hallucination, if you will. Had no idea what was going on yet. So, but then I saw dozens of the marathon officials behind the barriers with, they had some lavaliers on and name tags, started running and started telling people to disperse and to leave and to get out of the square. And I said, what happened? And they wouldn't answer. Or they, someone said, I don't know. I asked, I can't tell you how many people I asked what was going on, and I got no answers from anyone. They told us to disperse. And seriously, within maybe a minute or two, sirens started happening one, then another, then another, and then there were, it was just ongoing sirens. People began moving, sort of a controlled, controlled panic, if you will, but I, I, I still had no idea what was going on and, and people were, it wasn't pandemonium, but they were moving quickly. I tried to get across the barriers to get closer to the finish line to find my daughter and they weren't allowing us to do that and soon lots and lots of policemen and firemen showed up and started taking places in corners and telling us to disperse and to leave the area and I kept saying, but I need to find my daughter. So um, after the sixth or seventh person who told me they, or who either wouldn't answer me or wouldn't tell me what happened, I saw like a newscaster with a microphone standing there talking, suit, uh, and you know, five feet away from him is a fellow with a you know, large camera facing him and he's talking into the camera. So I said, well, he must know what's going on and I, I began approaching him and when I got within earshot of him, I began hearing things like body parts, blood, 
and dead bodies. I, I, I can't, it's hard to describe to you what happens to your body when you hear information like that um, that you weren't prepared for. So I, I kind of felt, I kind of felt my soul kind of leave my body. And I grabbed onto one of the barriers so that I, because I, I felt I was going to faint. And I held on to it and then I put my head down. I've had that kind of situation before, got blood to my head so I, that I wouldn't faint. And then finally, uh, I began, you know, hallucinating about all the possibilities of what might happen and where my daughter might be. And then I said, wait a minute, you, you just need to stop this. You need to get control of yourself. You're responsible for the thoughts that are going on in your head. So I said, just put a thought in there. And so the thought I put in was that I just envisioned seeing Sarah and she was fine, smiling, and we'd be hugging. And that's the vision I decided to put in my head. I breathed out the, the, the feeling of being a faint, thought I would make a deal with God for a second, a bargain, you know, hey, I'll go to church every Sunday if Sarah's okay. And then I got a little pissed off about all that, a little angry and... Uh, about you know the, the the classic kinds of things like why would God allow something like this, and so uh, uh, I decided to I found the school buses where Sarah was parked where where Sarah's bus was parked where her gear was to see that uh, if she had finished the race and gone and and uh, recouped her her things and um, she had not so that was not good news. Uh, basically, uh, and, and then I received a, a phone call from her boyfriend who told me he was, uh, a lot of the runners had been diverted a couple of blocks north of Boylston Street. And so I made my way over there and saw hundreds and hundreds of people that looked like they were leaving, you know, they were cold, they, they were all wrapped in these mylar blankets, they looked like they were leaving a concentration camp. And they, you know, had this bad, could they... They were they were stopped from the, the finish line about three quarters of a mile from the finish line, uh, and I walked against the tide and no Sarah for uh, several minutes, and then I got a call from Mike, her boyfriend, saying he found Sarah and she was okay. So, so my vision of um, meeting Sarah and seeing that smile on the big smile that she has and hugging her um, came true. Thanks so much, Frank, for telling that story. And to hear more stories like this one, subscribe to the Raven Narratives podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, where you can also leave your comments and share the stories you hear with your friends. If you want to pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives live storytelling event, go to ravennarratives.org and fill out the form on the contact page. And don't forget our next events are coming up October 21st and 22nd at the Sunflower Theater in Cortez and the Durango Arts Center when the theme will be forces. To see a photo gallery of our storytellers and find out what the themes will be at upcoming events, go to ravennarratives.org. The Raven Narratives is a production of KSJD Community Radio in Cortez, Colorado. Find out more at ksjd.org. And special thanks goes to our sound engineering wizard, Mike McAllister, for his technical expertise in recording and mixing the Raven Narrative stories told at the Sunflower Theater. 
Support for The Raven Narratives comes from Red Scarf Shots Photography Studio in Durango, Colorado. Find out more at redscarfshots.com.